So to all of you that are visitors, you're not going to get the normal first string here. So <laughs> this is not indicative of nor uh, our normal at Northgate. Uh, Dan asked me to share a bit about my life uh, and what God's been teaching me. The one thing that came to mind was something he's still teaching me that I still struggle with and deal with is submission. Uh, and it was interesting to see a baby dedication where parents are giving their baby back to God. We sang Blessed Assurance, and the chorus is Perfect Submission, All is at Rest. Um, and the verse that I had in mind, Dan's also been going through uh, words of Jesus. And so from Matthew 16, Jesus said, the verse says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So that's a, the theme that's going to run through my story a bit. But first of all, uh, Dan asked me to tell you a bit about myself. So I got a family album out. And uh, I was... Uh, it's coming. <laughs> uh, I was born in a working class area of Montreal. Uh, to two... Both my parents came from immigrant families uh, and grew up poor. And uh, still waiting. Oh, I'll, I'll just continue then. The um, we can just skip them. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, I grew up in the 60s and early 70s, Montreal and in Ottawa. And actually, I'm not going to show you a whole bunch of boring pictures. I've just got one other picture to show you. And the other picture is to prove that I used to have hair. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> the uh, picture of me at university, uh, and it's funny for me to look at the picture, <laughs> uh, but it's interesting for those of you that are young here, uh, I was in your place, right? We tend to look at people that are older than us and say, well, that's irrelevant. You don't realize that as a child, your parents were children. They, they've been where you've been. They've gone through what you're going through. And then as you get older, we tend to look at older, retired people. And we don't realize, no, they've been where we've been. They've raised children. They've had their children leave the house. So one of the things I can't emphasize enough is observe, learn from the people that have been down the path before you. We don't look like it now, but we've been in the exact same place. So I was brought up in a Christian home, uh, and I was taken to church from before I can remember. My extended family are all Christians, my parents, my grandparents, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins. I don't have a typical testimony. I wasn't saved off the street. I didn't do 10 years in organized crime. Uh, my family went to church three or four times a week. There was a morning service, there was an evening service, there was a prayer meeting, there was a a youth group. Um, 
I don't remember when I first asked Jesus to come into my heart. It would have been before I can remember. Uh, what I do remember is that I had a lot of doubts about it. And as a young child, every time there'd be another speaker talking about hell or giving an altar call, I'd be sitting there as a child worried, maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe I should do it again. And so as they would have the altar call, I would quietly go through the prayer again just to make sure. This probably went through all of my childhood. It was a, a, a regular thing. Until one day, I, I also went, another time during the week, I would go to Christian Service Brigade. I don't know if, I don't think this organization exists anymore, but it was a Christian version of Boy Scouts. Once a week, we'd go to Christian Service Brigade. And a speaker there talked about a farmer that had doubts also about his salvation. Was plagued constantly. And one day, the farmer went out behind his barn and fell down onto his knees and asked yielded his life to Jesus, asked him to come into his life and save him. And then the farmer got a stake, and he pounded it into the ground. From then on, any time the devil would tempt him about, are you saved, the farmer would walk the devil out behind the, the barn and point to the stake and say, right here, I was. So it was a story that was told to me in, in service brigade. I was 12 years old. And so, thank you very much, sir. And so on the way home... In the car, in the back of a 1967 Chrysler, without saying anything to my parents, I pounded the stake in. And I don't know the day, uh, and I don't know where that car is, but that was my stake. And from that time on, the doubts went away. I was able to look back and say, well, if I wasn't saved before, that's when I was saved. So, what was my home like? Of course, as an evangelical Christian home in the 60s, there was no alcohol, there was no smoking, there was no playing cards. Uh, there was very, very little television. Uh, you were encouraged to play outside, you were encouraged to go out and make friends. For as long as I can remember, my mother held a Good News Bible Club in her basement where all the neighborhood children would come over once a week and our house would fill up with 20 to 30 kids and it was a weekly Bible club where she would have a, a felt board called a flannel graph and put up pictures and tell Bible stories. My parents and grandparents taught me a lot of things. Uh, growing up poor, they taught me a lot about money. Uh, they taught me actually about why money wasn't important and why we shouldn't get distracted with money. Uh, they ta taught me that uh, one of God's purposes of money was to indicate his will. I remember my grandfather telling me that if you need a car and you only have $500 in the bank, then God wants you to have a $500 car. That's that God would provide for your needs and money was a sign of direction. I also remember, if you can put up the other one, being shown this and... It's just a spectrum going from white to black and being asked, draw a line. Where's the border between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom? Where does he have authority? And you can think that, well, maybe it's God controls everything. Or, or maybe it's somewhere in the middle. And then being told that, no, God is perfect. He's light, and in him there's no darkness at all. So God's kingdom is actually right just down here. 
Satan plays in this area, and this is where he loves to play, just with little bits and little shades of gray. I was taught that the whole purpose of the Christian life was to move closer to that left-hand end, that during your life, God would be working on you to make you more Christ-like, to remove the bits of gray from your life, to remove the, the bits of sin. And this was a... Although we're commanded to be perfect, that's the command, to head to the left, we know we never get there, but our whole process is to keep moving there. And how does God do that? I was taught that God does that by irritating you, by giving you, giving you problems, giving you challenges, putting people in your way that you don't get along with. He doesn't get you, he doesn't purify you by giving you accolades and rewards. So the whole process of this purification is the difficulties we have in life. Next. The, uh, you might, when I'm explaining the, the family lifestyle, what home was like, I don't want you to think it was legalistic. Uh, it wasn't. We debated. We talked with each other. Uh, it was a loud house. Lots of, lots of argument, lots of people. Uh, and it was a busy home. My parents, uh, I can't say enough about my parents. The one, one of the things that really struck me about my parents that I always carried, <laughs> excuse me, was they were in love. I always saw that. They were each other's best friends. They shared everything with each other. And I never saw a division between them. I'm not somebody that uh, easily adopts role models. Uh, you often get questions during life like, who do you admire? I, at the top of my list are two, my father and his father. Uh, we also hear people talking about the difference between the head and the heart. You know, I know it in my head, but it's not in my heart. My father's one person that didn't have a gap. If he knew it, he did it. He was disciplined and he was the most pure-hearted. Excuse me. <laughs> the most pure-hearted person I knew. So, uh, in some ways, a boring testimony... No, uh, no big change, no big transformation. And, you know, what could go wrong with that kind of start in life? Well, there's a danger or, or, or a, yeah, one danger growing up in a Christian house. When you're converted later in life and you, you leave a life of sin, there's a change in your behavior. Growing up as I did, when you get saved, there's nothing to change. You were living a Christian life whether you wanted to or not. You, you, you were doing all of the things that you were supposed to do. So there's no outward change. The big danger of that is there's no submission of your life to Christ. And if you don't submit your life to Christ, there's no power of the Holy Spirit. Because God can't fill you with his Holy Spirit. You cannot get the supernatural power that the Holy Spirit gives unless you're totally yielded to him. If you have fears, 
desires, bitterness, anything in your life, or you just simply want your own way, you're not going to get the benefits that the Holy Spirit can provide. And that was true for me, I think, without realizing it. Although I fully believed everything the Bible said, I hadn't come to understand that I have to yield my life up to God, that I have to submit to him. And I had not accepted Jesus as Lord of my life. Now, part of this is normal. A a young child, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, they can't fully appreciate giving your life to the Lord. They, They don't understand the weight of that. So you can't expect a five-year-old, a six-year-old child to be giving his life to the Lord. This is something that happens when you're 10, 11, 12, pre-teens. So the results were predictable. As I got into my teens, I wasn't getting everything I wanted. I wasn't getting the fun, the friends, the adventure uh, that I wanted. Uh, And I began to suspect that maybe... My Christianity was the reason for some of this. Uh, Maybe the rules that I'd been taught uh, were unnecessarily strict or were holding me back. So although I don't think my upbringing was legalistic now, if you'd tapped me on the shoulder as a 14, 15-year-old, I would have told you it was. There was another common symptom that I had of not yielding your life to God. Life didn't seem to have any purpose. I was bored. And I was so bored at times, I was angry about it. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It's something that I experienced then, but in different measures, continues at different points in my life. Sometimes life just seems to be an endless repeat of daily tasks. And you struggle to get some time for yourself. But this is a warning sign. This is a sign that deep down... You want, and you want, and you believe you deserve a different life. It's the opposite of submission. It's a sign that you're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Why is it important to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a theological answer for that. But if I step back into my story, at this stage of my life, my interest was in determining how do I live the best life? How do I get the most out of life right here and now? So while I was away at university, I was able to change the rules. I was able to find out what was on the other side of the fence, and I quickly found out that the other people weren't having more fun. Yeah, they might have peaks of excitement and fun. There were were parties. Uh, But when you start to get to know people, what's life like in between the parties. What happens when you go home uh, the morning after? When I started to talk to classmates, what was the purpose in life? Where were they going? I found out that most of them were lonely, afraid, some of them were angry, and almost all of them were bored. They went from one high to the other with a week or two in between. And again, you don't see this at a party. You don't see this when everyone has their public face on, everything's good. But as you get to know people, there's a lot of time between parties. So I realized there was no answer there. They didn't have the answer. At the same time, I couldn't shake what I'd been taught growing up. 
and mainly I couldn't get rid of the genuine purposeful life that I'd seen my parents live. And that's what held me. So if I can give one advice to parents here, uh, it's to look after your own life. It's to make sure you're spirit-filled, moving closer and closer to God. You can throw out all the parenting books. You can throw out all the how-tos. Your children read you like a book. They know your weaknesses. They know your fears, your frustrations, and they read you. And through all of this, the thing that I couldn't shake was the genuine life I'd seen. So I had, the, I had the contrast. I'd seen it in my parents and my extended family. And then I saw my friends at university. And I thought, well, <laughs> there's no contest here. And so gradually I started coming back to, to what I'd been taught. But with a difference, making it my own and understanding what was the reasons uh, for all of these instructions. Why were we doing living a certain way? And see, the Bible is an instruction manual. We believe that God created us and that he designed us. He knows exactly how we're made. He's the designer. We also sing songs about his love for us. Well, because he loves us, he gave us a book. He gave us an instruction manual. He said, here's how the creation works. Follow this for maximum benefit. And the instructions, the moral commands in the Bible are for that. If you follow them, you will derive benefit. That goes not only for Christians. It goes for non-Christians as well. You can have an atheist, a Muslim, a Buddhist. If he follows God's commands and his guidelines for how you engage in a marriage, he will get the blessing. It doesn't matter what your faith, it doesn't matter if you're a complete atheist... If you follow God's commands and instructions for how to deal with money, you'll be blessed. So he's given us an instruction book, and you can look at it, as I did then, quite selfishly, that how do I get the best out of life? Well, it's by following this. It's by following those commands. They're not for our evil. They're for our good. And they will lead to the best possible life here on earth. The, uh, it's funny as I reflect, it's our own natural in- instincts are also completely contrary to that. The, uh, a couple of years ago, Don and I went on a long, a long walk. We undertook a, an 800 kilometer hike. Um, and we started off each day with the goal of completing this hike. There were really good days and there were some really bad days where it's pouring rain and you're looking out the window and you think, whew, we've got to go out in that and walk. We have 25 kilometers to cover today. As we walked, we were, Don and I are both firstborn, a little driven. We'd had family members tell us, oh, you can't do that. So we were going to do it. And that was the only thing that got us out some mornings, got us out walking, doing it, going on the hike. Uh, As we got towards the end, we started meeting people uh, who had done it before and who were back again. And people asking us, isn't this great? 
when are you going to do it again? And Tom and I would look at each other, are you kidding? <laughs> We're just trying to get to the end. We're never going to do this again. Uh, and even on the last day, you, get, you finish, you get a certificate that you've completed this, this walk. And the lady giving us our certificate told us she'd done it five times. And when, when did we think we were going to be back? Well, we were polite. We said, well, we didn't know. We had kids, you know. And we walked away and thought, she's crazy. <laughs> we're not doing this. It was funny that only three or four weeks after finishing, we started to look back with increasing fondness of our time, uh, of our walk. And... We have gone on other long hikes, not as long, but we look back at it as a wonderful time. The memories of the hard days, the walking in mud, the walking up hills have faded. We remember the fantastic mountain views, uh, the talks that we had, the people that we met at the end of the day when we're exhausted and they're exhausted and you're just sitting around a fire and you're talking. Um, so many benefits from it, but it's an illustration of a bit what life is like because left to our own, well, left to my own, I would rather sit on the couch. I'd rather find a comfortable place. But that's in complete contrast. You know, would I like to be in good shape? Yeah, I'd like to be in great shape. So in every area of our life, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, our natural tendencies drive us away from what we would ultimately like. And I think it's the Bible that tells us how to achieve that ultimate success in every area. So, after university, uh, and after coming back, I guess making some of these commands my own, understanding why I was taught what I was taught, and dedicating my life to to, to Christ. I had a desire to change the world for God. I wanted to uh, make a mark for Him. I I do great things. And when I go back and read the journal from that time of my life, a lot of my prayers were, okay, God, tell me what you want me to do. I'm ready. I'm going to do something fantastic. And I would pray and wait, and invariably the answer would come, well, you got a lab report due at 4 o'clock today, and you got an exam the day after that. And I'd be like, no, 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 God, I know, I know that. No, give me the, I, I want the big order. I want the big command. You know, wh- what battle am I going to fight? Um, and that pattern continued. It continues into work. It's, God, what, what am I going to do? It's like, well... If you don't get out of bed now, you're going to be late for work. And that's not a very good witness. And often the submission is in the mundane. Uh, Life went ahead pretty quickly. Uh, I started working uh, in a career that went well. I found a wonderful wife. Got happily married. Started having children. Uh, move cities a couple of play times, and and you hit a point in life where it's busy and it accelerates, uh, and before you know it, you're at another point. 
There are a lot of stories there uh, that I can go through, but those are for another time. I'll fast forward to uh, coming to Smith Falls. So I left... I left a good career. I was an executive at a, a, a large company in Montreal, and God brought me to Smith Falls. The, uh, there haven't been too many times in my life where God has clearly changed my direction, but that was one of them, and I'll leave that story for another time. But the last step, the last part of bringing me to Smith Falls was finding out that my dad was terminally ill. That he had leukemia, that was incurable, and he had two years to live. So I took a different position at a small manufacturing company in Smith Falls and came here to spend some time with my father. And I made friends with a pastor of a church in Smith Falls. I wasn't going to his church, but he was a neighbor. And we were out for a walk, uh, one evening, it was wintertime, it was snowing. I don't remember the conversation. I don't remember his exact words. But they were something to the effect that, uh, you know, it's great that God's brought you to Smith's Falls and maybe this is his plan for you. And he made reference to my tombstone being here in Smith's Falls. Well, the, the violence of my reaction shocked me. I, I was at once felt like throwing up. <laughs> Or alternatively, punching him really hard in the face. <laughs> uh, and I let him know, there's no way. Uh, and he suggested, well, you're obviously not submitted to God. God's brought you here. You've just told me how God brought you here. Maybe he's going to keep you here. Maybe this is your ministry. And like I say, the, the reaction was so forceful in me... I, I couldn't deny that this is an area that wasn't submitted. I had plans. I was going to do things. I was waiting for the big order from God to, to do something great. And the thought of, no, I'm going to live a normal life here in Smith Falls uh, was very hard to take. And I can't tell you that I immediately submitted to it and yielded to it and got along with it. Uh, it took me a year to stop hating this place and a second year to begin to like it. <laughs> uh, but God knew what he was doing. My dad lived for three and a half years. So we continued here for three and a half years. Uh, my dad passed away in January of 2000. Uh, there were some big changes going on in the company. And that I had to deal with and a few months later I'm at work and I get a call from Don that Mikhail is not feeling well I got to take her into the doctor I said and, and I'm worried about her so can you come I was in the middle of a meeting I told people okay uh, my wife's worried about something you know how women are I got to go take her to the doctor and I'll be back tomorrow and I went really just to make Don feel better that was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. By about 8 o'clock that night at Chio, they were telling us that Michaela had leukemia. And she was 2 years old, and they couldn't tell us whether she'd live or not. They didn't know what type of leukemia. They didn't know what her prognosis was. What followed there is three and a half years of chemo, 
and God stapling me down here again to Smith Falls. Uh, I'm not saying Michaela got leukemia to keep me here. There were a lot of purposes in it, and it in itself is another story. Um, the hardest time in our marriage was during the time when Michaela had leukemia. I would say six, eight months into it. For innocent reasons, because of the different ways Don and I handle stress, we drifted apart. And that was the time in our marriage that we were the most distant to the point where we had to start again. And I remember the first awkward date that we had together. Sitting across the table, it was, it was an awkward date. It didn't even feel like it was going very well. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. She didn't know what to say. We literally started again. This happened during that time. But the result of all of that was I was here and God knew that there was another three and a half years required. So seven and a half years after coming here for two, I was finally at the point where I was ready to say, okay, God, if you want me to stay here, I'll stay here. So I'm a slow learner. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We say God's faithful. Uh, we praise him. The main, one of the main ways he's faithful to us is to keep working on us, to keep peeling away the layers. Uh, to continue purifying us, usually with a continuous stream of irritations and difficulties and challenges. And that's the joy that we should see in all of those things. We also talk a lot about uh, God speaking to us. You'll hear Pastor Dan say that a lot. God spoke to me. God speaks to us. Or following God. In my own experience, 99.9% .9 of the time that God speaks to me is in areas of sin. It's in areas where God convicts me that you shouldn't have said that. You've got the wrong attitude. You're doing that wrong. Or you should ask for forgiveness. Or you should put aside what you're doing and go sit with that person. That's... I guess when I was young, that was referred to as your conscience. And to me, it's, it's the same thing. We have in our life only a few big forks in the road. There are big forks. There are big decisions where you're choosing whether to get married or whether to move. Uh, and, but they're few and far between. When you have those big decisions, you should be seeking counsel. You should be getting advice. You should be praying about it. But I guess when I look back on my life, most of the submission is mundane. Uh, everybody here in this room, or, or almost everyone here in this room, has responsibilities. I imagine most of you are going to be somewhere Monday. If you're not working, if you're not caring for children, uh, you have things to take care of. You have a house to care for. You have responsibilities. 
And God has given them to you. God's put us each in a place. And because he knows us, he knows how you're wired, he's actually put you in the place that he wants you. He's put you in a place where those stresses that you're going to face Monday morning are his design for bringing you closer to him. So part of submission, and it's part that I continually have to learn because I'm... I wake up Monday mornings not wanting to do the work that I have. I still have those prayers where, God, show me what to do. And his answer is, you've got an assignment Monday morning. You've got to go to work. Uh, You promised somebody a report at work. So that's... That's an overview of my story. That's uh, hopefully an encouragement. The encouragement is to look at the things that you're going to face, not only Monday morning, but all through the week, as, and see what God has in that for you. If you're unhappy with it, submission is probably at the heart of it. Accepting what God has for you, accepting his plan for you. When you're controlled by the Spirit, there is a purpose. There's, there can be a joy even in the irritation. Even in that person that you don't want to work with coming again. It, you can see God's purpose in it. If you want a greater challenge, uh, look at submission and what are you going to do when you go home from church? That's, that's probably downtime. And, and our society has a really bad way of dealing with downtime they they teach us to zone out and tune out and uh, completely contrary from biblical ways of being refreshed and restored so but that's that's another topic (laughs) Uh, but yeah if I could just uh, that's my story and if I could just encourage everybody that by that and that uh, you can pray for me that that's still a path that I'm on that each I hope God never stops showing me different ways that I need to submit uh, and that I can remain faithful to him. Thanks very much.